and welcome to the CFA UK podcast series on climate change. My name is John Tihan, and I'm a portfolio manager with Red Wheel. In these CFA UK podcasts, we hope to shed light on issues facing portfolio managers, analysts, and others within the financial industry as we face the challenge of climate change. In this episode, I'm going to focus on regulation. If ever financial regulation was exciting, it's now. The speed of change in regulation, the challenges of interpreting and applying the regulation, and the question as to whether it will really meaningfully contribute to mitigating climate change are making it a compulsory subject for all in finance, not just our legal and compliance departments. In this episode, I am joined by Sasha Sedan. Sasha is the newly created director of ESG at the FCA. What makes Sasha truly interesting for us practitioners is that Sasha was until last year deeply involved in the action himself. He led Elgem's investment stewardship for a decade, helping to shape Elgem into one of the leading European asset managers for responsible investment. He was also a founding member of the UK Investor Forum in 2014. But before his leading stewardship role, Sasha was a portfolio manager, managing UK equity funds. So from this wide experience, he deeply understands the realities we face when investing client capital. Sasha was extremely generous with his time, so we have divided the conversation into two parts. I began by asking Sasha why he decided to leave the day-to-day action and join the FCA. Hi, John, and welcome, everyone. Um, first of all, people used to say to me, why did I leave the fence of running money to go and be Director of Investment Stewardship at Legal & General a decade ago? And hopefully after a decade of doing it and being involved in some of the biggest interesting debates, fights, activism, you could see that that was a great um, area of growth. And to me, it was a natural step for someone who cares passionately about people's money, who cares passionately about areas of growth, that this area of ESG, this area of how we define it, how regulation is going to help in this part just felt like a natural step for someone that has run money, cared about asset owners, and has now been involved in the stewardship debate for far too long. So it felt to me that this was a natural step to try and clarify and to get people with experience, relevant experience, and I call it scars and grey hairs, into the the positions of regulatory power to try and make sure that it's used in the right way. And that, of course, the first phrase has got to be pragmatic. I said at the start of the outset that it is an exciting time for regulation. It's an exciting time for ESG. But ESG is also getting a bit of a rap lately, Sasha. We've had Tariq Fancy, the ex-sustainability CIO of BlackRock, called sustainable investing a deadly distraction. Robert Armstrong has been very critical in the FT. And recently, Terry Smith of Fundsmith has slated Unilever for their need to define a purpose for Hellman's mayonnaise. So has ESG lost its way a bit or or is it losing some support? Well, I think it's a much bigger question and and luckily we've got some time. So it's not a yes or a no. When you think about ESG, I think people do categorize it from, from, let's say a decade ago, people go, what's this got to do with investment to, can you prove it adds value to now? Most people and most investors, most asset owners, but most corporates are talking ESG. And sometimes they're probably talking too much ESG when actually it's just business. 
it was always the case. And I've seen, um, I think it was 1963, the Marks and Spencer's AGM report. And it was about looking after their employees and making sure their supply chain was there. This goes back years. Good companies do think about their employees and other parts. And so it shouldn't be always seen as a new product, a new thing. Of course, it's got exciting. And people, when they get excited or they think there's commercial ability, can over-promote. But let's go back to the basics. When we're talking about things, it's about financial materiality. So as much as I passionately care about polar bears and orangutans, I don't, didn't spend my time at Legal and General too much when we were talking about climate change on thinking about specifics. It was about climate change in general and how it affected the portfolio of assets that we had. And it wasn't that long ago that people were arguing with people like myself and many others, what's wrong with coal? Now that seems to be in a different debate and it seems to be a very different shift. So I do think we need to calm down sometimes. Of course, there are going to be things. And one of the reasons I have come into the role is that there has been far too much over-promotion or in another phrase, greenwashing. And we need to help that. When I speak to many asset managers, they say, we want guardrails, we want to know what to do. And we'll come on to some of those things a bit later. But no, I don't think it is too big a topic. I think it's just been uh, tarnished by some uh, new things that are coming out. But when I look at it, I think it's very important that every company looks after their employees, that they do know what kinds of things they're doing, that they have an answer to why they might pay the living wage. I think these are the things that are becoming on people's psyche. And the people's psyche are electorates. They are consumers, they're the users of these products, they're pensioners, and they're the ones that are going to be the ones that want this. So I think corporates are starting to see it, but there's definitely a divergence from people who have been doing this for a while and doing it properly, and people who are doing it more for promotion. Because there's so many acronyms in ESG, I guess we were perhaps at risk of confusing different things. So when you think of ESG, you think of sustainability and you think of impact. What are the differences between those three broad terms? Yeah, so we are really trying at the moment with the labeling system, which is we've got a discussion paper out on looking at how we can try to sort of navigate that. And of course, the answer is it's really difficult because a lot of people are doing it. And there is some work on a taxonomy and all of this stuff, which I don't want to go into the debate, but for me, First thing is, anyone who runs money, and for CFA, let's think about this. Absolutely. It's not that you should think about ESG because you care or you don't care. It's tail risk sometimes. It's your curve. It's your risk appetite. It's what could happen to your investments. Is it priced into your investments? And therefore, when people now talk about ESG integration, I look at them and go, well, you should integrate anything that could affect the value of your investment and then work out the probability of whether that could happen. And of course, in some sectors, climate change is an even bigger issue. But what's also bigger is if it was going to be a carbon tax and what that would do to your portfolio or flooding risk in insurance or whatever it is. So I think ESG integration is, is the first point. It's just using your business acumen to price risks. And some risks are not earnings per share or accounting standards. 
that's ESG integration. And I think that's a given and people are starting to get that. And if you don't do that, then you are not doing your job as an investment analyst or anything like that. Secondly, there's impact. And I think that's very important. People are now starting to say, and when I say people, I mean consumers are saying, I want to own something that is doing something on diversity. Let's not always do climate. <laughs> climate is not the be all and end all. It's absolutely important to me. I care passionately. I have done for many years, but so do I care about people, employees, diversity, supply chain, and other issues that are in this gap. But impact is how do I make change to affect something that I care about, such as diversity? And of course, there are lots of ways that you can push on things like that. And I think that is something that we need to make sure and have metrics to make sure of that. So I think those are two areas that are separate. Then there's sustainability in general, and these terms get mixed and matched. But I think people have to define what they mean by that. And this is the challenge. And it's the case of ESG. When we think about ESG, it's about protecting our capital. The question becomes, are we thinking beyond just our own capital? Are we thinking about the system? And in preparation for our conversation, I invited questions over LinkedIn. And one came from Vish Ndacha at MFS. Vish questioned whether the FCA itself would rethink its mission in light of the evolution to stakeholder capitalism. Larry Fink has written about this in his letter earlier this year. And the question is, are we thinking about other stakeholders to protect our capital or thinking about other stakeholders for their well-being? Okay, so we've got some nice, big, heavy questions to start with. I love it. So let's start with the beginning part. And when I talked about it, it, ESG, and remember, people forget G, and that's what I hope for investment analysts, G is really important. It's E, S, and G, and most people use the E, mostly. A little bit on social, not as much, but the G is very, very important. And when you look, and you and I, John, are very fortunate that we meet chairmen and CEOs and boards of companies, and we see that, they have a responsibility they have a responsibility to run the business as they can now, for the long term. And when you run a business for the long term, you have to think about things like training, R&D, innovation, uh, employee relations, health and safety. They are part of the DNA of a business. They're different in a mining company than they are in a media company and, and the balances of that. But that has always been the case. And I think that is just part. And if I was a CEO, or I'm a non-exec director of a very large PLC or an INC, I would be very concerned about those other issues. Reputational issues become hugely more important. So they are, not, they are still deeply ingrained with financial performance. They are not one or the other. And I think you have to balance that. And all directors, there's this phrase, Section 172 in the UK, you have to take account of all your stakeholders when you do it. Now, of course, there are going to be discussions about how much do you take account of employee relations versus profit margins. But that has never been difficult to work out. You do not want massive strikes. You don't want to alienate your own staff. You don't want to lose your reputation as a brand. So these things have always been there. So I don't think they're completely separate. Your bigger holistic point, our clients and you in the past and my clients at the FCA and the regulator, they are saying, I care about certain things. Now, you have to work out and you have to, John, in your own portfolios, 
which ones are the most important things in those portfolios. But if you have a fund that says it cares about climate change, and most people are starting to talk about these kinds of things, then part of that is not just worrying about whether buying Shell or BP. It can't be. It has to be thinking about, well, how are we going to transition? What kinds of things are going to do that? How do I balance getting the portfolio returns with something that might look good in the short term, but at some point it's going to be priced out? And so I do think that you have to think of the bigger picture. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take account of trying to outperform that pesky index like we've all tried to do over the years or match it, as I've been doing recently at Legal and General. But it really is important that we don't just think it's one or the other. But if you have that mindset that these big issues are important, then of course, if you've got a choice of two stocks and one of them is moving to a more transition, then you will think about it. But the last point I'd make, and I was talking to private equity only yesterday, one of the largest private equity firms in the world, they are starting to realize that ESG credentials starts to add multiple expansion. Now, that's something I've never really talked about in my decade at Elgium as a stewardship because I spent my life trying to say it doesn't detract value, but it doesn't add value or it doesn't have to add value. But you can see from the money that is moving into this area that the money is moving very fast and that moves pricing where there's indices. I've started to see when certain, I won't mention their names, rating agencies, ESG ones, take something in or out, the stock price moves on the day. Like in the old days when things used to move into the FTSE 100 and move out, there used to be a little bump. This is happening and therefore I think this is becoming part of day to day and therefore it's about the bigger picture. Totally agree with you on the multiple expansion. For us as value managers, when we think about how ESG can help us in sustainability, these companies that are improving, well, we're going to be selling them in five or seven years time. And a big part of the return for investors is that exit multiple. So if we can, if we can move companies uh, along that, that sustainability uh, and, and transition towards low, low uh, carbon world, well, then the investors are buying the stock off us in five to 10 years. We'll be willing to pay a higher multiple. I completely agree with you on that. And John, I'm, just on that, can I just say, we've, um, I've purposely not, I've mentioned private equity. They also have to resale back to an equity market or a debt market or to another private equity player. The debt markets, I've seen a fundamental shift in the last three or four years in debt markets on credit ratings on the credit ratings providers and how they analyze ESG. They started, as most people did, with another rating on ESG as a separate. And that was all nice. And we all did our own things in equities as well, which is my bread and butter. But we've definitely now seen how the credit ratings are incorporating ESG as they should do into the mainstream rating because it's tail risk. It's the kinds of risks that could end up affecting it. And as we know from debt investors and Hopefully, we've got quite a few on the podcast. Their job is to worry about, do I get my money back in five to seven to 10 or 20 year coupon? And things like ESG longer term do actually academically have been proven, especially on the governance side, to be areas that could end up blowing up or hopefully the other way around supporting growth. I want to come back to the sustainability ratings, but just to continue on, on multiple expansion. I guess one concern you may have is that the flows going into ESG funds in the last decade, and at least for the most part, 
have been going into growth-oriented funds. And that is on the back of a good period for growth, anyway, with lower interest rates. Do you worry that there's a structural bias there towards a certain style of investing? It has pushed those multiples to stretched levels, and therefore there's a risk that ESG itself could become synonymous with poor performance if those multiples contracted as growth might uh, roll over in the future. John, I'm an ex-fund manager. I worry about all sorts of things. I'm worrying about low interest rates and, and inflation being 5.4% in CPI at the moment. I'm, I'm, of course, I worry about things, but I would worry about it in a different way. The first point I'd make is there are so many great companies out there that are not your traditional ESG companies, but are very good, have long-term sustainable business models. And they are starting to, and I speak to them, and I have spoken in the past, but I'm still speaking to them in my role, working out how they set that agenda. And I think as ESG becomes more mainstream, it's going to move from, let's buy, let's exaggerate your point, let's buy a um, wind farm turbine on a high multiple to being a let's buy a business that has brand equity, is thinking about moving its food business to more organic or less sugar in it. All of these other things that are absolutely integral into this. So I think that will move there. That's great. Of course, there are some, but some of the ESG funds don't own all the tech that went up. So I, I, I'm not sure it's, it's one or the other in terms of they've been all in the growth areas. But secondly, as it's going mainstream, it's only the last three years that it's become that mainstream. When I look at the, the rise of the funds, they're not just moving into specifics. But where I worry, and back to your point, and this is where I, one of the reasons I've come into this role and I want to help, I can't do that much, but I can do what I can with my team, is I'm worrying that people should not think of ESG as those sectors are bad and those sectors are good, which is back to your point. I really think my job and has been as, as stewardship is you might be in a sector that historically was not caring or was just uh, a polluter. Well, that's the case. But what are you going to do to transition? How are you going to change? And that also could generate a lot of alpha. So I do think there's going to be much more opportunities on that to show that. But I also think we need then so many things we need to talk about on ESG ratings. We'll do that separately. But I do think I'm going to spend time on our labelling to make sure that it's OK to own an oil and gas stock. It's OK. But you must explain why you own it to the end investor if you're saying that this is to do with a, a green fund or something like that, on why you think they're moving, why they're changing, why their pay is going to be linked to them getting to net zero. And I think that's the way we have to do it because divestment, in my view, it's okay to have as one element on your escalation strategy, but I don't want and I worry that people think of good and bad, black and white. And that's not how it works. And it certainly doesn't work in investments. Absolutely, we'll cover labelling because that is absolutely necessary for us to, to get to a point where we can properly sell and not mislead the end client. One last thing on multiples. And what concerns me is that because ESG funds look at past performance and they give the impression that this is what you should expect in the future. For me, the nuance is that, back to your point, it's that move up in multiple because a company gets better. That is where you get the additional return. If you invest in an already really or very highly sustainable company, the multiple probably reflects that. 
Otherwise, we're, we're expecting that multiples will continue to expand over time because the company is good. Well, I, I suppose what we talk, I don't know which funds we're talking about, but there's, there's lots of different, but there's lots of funds that are indices as well as funds that are trying to generate alpha above a, a relative return. But two, I mean, that is the job of a portfolio manager. And I think that is the job of the analysts is to work out where, if we're thinking about alpha rather than beta, of where there is unmet growth. And I think there are many ways that that can still happen. I think there will be very new sectors that are coming through. It's not all about buying the new battery technology. It's not all about that. But it will be, as I said, there, there are going to be differences. That's the way I look at it. Some of the um, food companies, the differences between some of them that are thinking about being innovative and healthier, and not just being healthy for nice reasons, healthy because they think they can make a higher margin on this stuff, just like we saw with fair trade and other things that happened in the past. I do genuinely think there are many ways that people can add value and use their knowledge in this area that can create value. And I do not think this is about um, existing stocks that have an high SG rating continuing to, to do well. I also put one of the points you made, I'm, I'm quite conscious of, I don't think anyone, and I'm thinking about labelling and authorisations of my colleagues at the FCA, I don't think anyone should say ESG funds have performed well and therefore they will perform well. That would definitely get the angst of the regulator because we all know from all of our experiences when value was doing well for a long time, it doesn't always work. And when growth works, it doesn't always, or whatever it is, there is no one size fits all. If we ever found that magic bullet, we should put it on the podcast and retire. But that isn't the case. And therefore, I think it's all about risk and reward and balance and interrogation and investigative journalism and analysts and all of this sort of stuff. And that's why it makes this job and your job so fascinating. Back to more ESG acronyms. We, we, we mentioned <laughs> about how many there are earlier. And the new one is the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board. Can you explain to us what the ISSB is and what it's meant to do? I will. I'll take a step back first, but I promise. And I, I, I'm trying to learn all these acronyms. It's taken me 10 years in one role, and now I'm moved into the regulator, and, and the regulator has lots of acronyms as well. But take a step back. Part of, I think, my mandate and job is to say, and we know this when we speak to wonderful chairmen here, oh, what, what metrics shall I use? Which rating agency shows? What should I do about ISS on voting or MSCI on ESG or SASB on this? Part of our job is to try and get a little bit of consistency. And sustainability is just like any other newer area of commerciality. Oh, my God, how many wonderful companies have started up. And that's good. It's capitalism started up to try and be the experts. And we've got some really good people and good things. But if I'm a corporate, you're going, which ones do I use? What do I do? So behind the scenes, people like the FCA and many other colleagues have said this alphabet soup needs to get addressed. Now, good news, it's probably been the fastest ever coalition to move sustainability accounting into one kind of frame. It was only three years ago, there were many GRI, WEF, SASB, I could go through many others that were going to be the experts. SASB was pretty good, but it was more US centric. And others were more European centric. And so we had differences. What happened and it happened and it was launched at COP. It's, so it's happened. The 
all the sustainability standards internationally that are linked with IFRS. So just like our earnings per share and gap analysis and everything else is going to be inside this, you used the phrase ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Boards. It merges in SASB. There's not against that, or, or they're now called the Value Reporting Foundation, another VRF, another acronym, and GRI are working with them. And the Integrated Reporting Council, they merged in. So you are literally starting to get ISSB will be the metrics on, let's use it, political lobbying. Because at some point, I want to know about political lobbying at the regulator, and I certainly would have in my old role. I want to know about certain diversity. I want to know about tax paid in disclosure. I want to know about supply chain and health and safety and labor standards. There will be a metric. There will be a sustainability metric. It will be endorsed by the IFRS and therefore by ISSB. And you and I can go on a Bloomberg terminal or a Reuters terminal or Affinitiv or whatever terminal we use, and we can start looking at those same things. Now, we might take different views on what to do with those numbers, like we do with earnings per share and multiples and values, but we might be using the same language. That's what we want to attune to. And that's what a regulator should do. Try to help you have the information and then you in the CFA decide what to do with it. That sounds like great news. So this will, in some ways, collapse the, the big five standard setters in sustainability into one set of standards. It looks like it. It's already been organised. It's international. It will have the governance at the top to make sure those standards are recognised, but also that they are fit for purpose. Because, as you know, in new areas, people have tried to put new, new, new standards in that have maybe not had this full governance process. And I think the accountancy standards have had many, many years of practice on that. So I think, but we need to make sure it's at speed. That's why we're using existing tools rather than starting from scratch. So that's the other thing you need to know. If I was a chair of a company, I would say, look at some of the metrics that SASB and others have already put. They will go through the hopper, but they are the ones that are going to be probably be used. So that will give them at least a starting point. And this is what most of the largest asset managers have been telling the firms already in the debt, credit and private equity. So it would pull in the likes of TCFD reporting under that umbrella and make it part of the of the standards. Yes, um, in different ways. Yes, absolutely. And so do you think then companies will find less pressure or there will be there will be less overlapping of reporting pressure on companies? Yes, I mean, the whole point with TCFD and then hopefully other things is to try and say, yes, these things are important. Climate is important. But here's a way of doing it. Here's a template. Now, obviously, you've put in the bits. you. And by the way, when you're doing something, use the sustainability metrics that link to that, but from ISSB. So, yes. And do you think then the rating agencies, do you think their comparability, and, and we all know about the studies that showed that there was, there was very low level of correlation between ratings, do you think that is going to improve the comparability between rating agencies? Well, listen, again, I'm going to take a step back. I think the job of a regulator is to try and put things in place. So I'm, we will be pushing asset owners. You've seen we've pushed asset owners and asset managers who have to come up with a TCFD report by the end of this year. Now, their job then is to work out how to do that by pushing the companies and asking for that data. There will also be the investment consultants who need to make sure that they give mandates to people they believe are doing this. Accountants and auditors 
By the way, they're the ones that help write the annual report and they sign off on one part of the annual report, but not the other. And if climate is material, let's use climate or diversity, political lobbying, union representation, whatever it is, if it's material to a company, then surely that needs to be signed off by the auditors at some point. So they have to be in the tent only where they need to, but make sure it's material and it's done the right way using the right sustainability standards. So everyone has to play a part in the train. Going back to your point, the one we haven't mentioned is ESG ratings. Now, first point, I just like you get lots of research from many investment houses. You don't expect them all to have buys because it's the same company and therefore they should measure it the same way. Some have buy, sell, hold, and some have different things as well as on top of that. So we never expected investment houses to always analyze companies the same way, just like Moody's and S&P can look at the debt slightly differently. I don't expect ESG ratings to suddenly all become the same. But what I do expect, or I hope, and I more than hope, that we can be a bit more transparent about how they get their ratings, what measures they're using. Now, if there are now sustainability metrics that are more audited coming forward, it's going to take a bit of time. That will help. It should help them. But it should help you at your firm say, I don't want to use one that's using a different way or a bit more maverick way. Or I, I remember seeing one who was trying to sell it to me at Legal and General a long time ago. Our ratings change daily. And I went, how can a company change daily? They're going, yeah, but we get press, we put in all this real-time data. And I'm sitting there, I'm just old-fashioned, but I was going, Come, I, I look at the annual report and I get excited once a year to get the new data or really look at the Dell. Every day that change, I don't think companies do change every day. And so I would say, I don't want to use that one. And I think it's our job. When I say our job, I mean investment. I'm using my royal R as investment professional, CFA, to go, that rating seems much more definitive. It seems more useful. And therefore, they will merge over time. And the ones that are more exciting, but perhaps less useful, will, will start to fail. But it's not the regulator's job to do that. But it is the regulator's job to look at transparency and things like conflicts of interest. So answer your question one last time. I, I worry, and we've seen it with proxy voting and other things, that when they sell consulting services, how do they manage that conflict? Is the rating used for selling other products or is it used to be the best rating of a company? And I think those kinds of things, as it's a new industry, need tightening up with guidelines. And that's something that me and my team will be working on in the next year or two. In answer to another question from LinkedIn, this time from Manuel Martin Rabadan at My Footprint, which we're measuring ESG in a simple way. The answer is that we're going in that direction with ISSB, if not there yet. But these standards should help us to be more consistent. But, okay. but very important, very important, Manuel, it's still your job to work out whether you believe that or whether it's priced in or not so priced in or whether it's comparable with another company, whether one's better than another or one is moving at a faster pace. That's still always the job of an investment analyst to do that. Not There's never going to be a one number. As you know, John, how can a seven out of 10 what does that mean on ESG? I, I, I never would use one number to, to value or analyze anything. This is the end of the first part of my conversation with Sasha Sedan. 
Sasha was extremely generous with his time, so we have divided the conversation into two parts. In the second part of the conversation, we focused on labeling, particularly on the transition and impact labels. We spoke about the UK government's net zero ambition and what that means. We also touched on universal owners' focus on system issues and the increasing calls for devolving shareholders' voting rights. In the midst of a very complicated transition and fast-moving regulation, it is very comforting to listen to Sasha. His deep experience, his no-nonsense approach, as well as his openness and willingness to discuss these issues with the industry, allows us all to take part in a constructive, thoughtful dialogue as we strive to find solutions that deliver a transition, greater sustainability, and appropriate financial products for our investors. Thank you for listening, and I do hope you take the opportunity to listen to part two.